The reading for today is Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 44. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. We went about, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Laura, for reading. And man, what an incredible story. And just getting to see and witness what God is doing in this community. So glad the Shaheens were able to join us and just see that. Um, One thing that happened in first service that I want to point out We were actually able to dedicate a number of babies. I think that there are some pictures that we can put up of them. Yes, they were cute babies. And so we were able to do that. It's one of my favorite things as a church because God calls us as a church to raise them up with a love for God, with a love for his church, with a love for Christ. And this is a great time for us to do that. So I wanted to point that out to you and basically open with really pictures of a bunch of cute babies. Um, I feel like that's a good way to start. So we're, in, we're continuing in the book of Acts. We have been in the book of Acts since the beginning of the year. We will be through September at least. And this has been just an incredible time for us to see how God is forming his church. Uh, last week, Frank began what he's calling a little mini-series in the book of Acts, which is the adventures of Peter outside of Jerusalem. And we're going to be continuing in this, and we get to witness, actually, today in the story, an incredible moment in the history of God's people. We get to see and witness something that that is remarkable, that that is something that really is what begins a lot of us being brought into this family. We get to witness and experience the reality that God's good news is good news for all, that the gospel is good news for all. Because we are going to witness when the Gentiles are brought in to the faith, when they receive the Holy Spirit and are brought into this incredible community. Now, last week, um, Pete, uh, Frank read the beginning of this story, so I'll just kind of summarize that, and then we'll pick it up here in a little bit. And it starts with this man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a, is a Roman centurion, which is a soldier in the army of Rome, and he is a Gentile. So that means that he is not circumcised, that he is not a part of the Jewish faith. Um, He is a Gentile. Gentile is just a blanket term for somebody who is not Jewish. And he is a God-fearer, though. Now, we've heard this term before. And this is basically somebody who is not Jewish but still worships God, who still worships Yahweh God and, and, and does what he can to participate 
in worshiping him. And the main things that they point out is that he was an incredibly generous man and that he was a prayerful man, that he gave a lot to the poor and that he was an incredibly uh, prayerful man. And it's during one of these prayers that God, through an angel, actually appears to Cornelius. And he says that there is a man who goes by the name of Peter in a town called Joppa, and you need to go and get him and bring him here because he has something to tell you. Now, I know that the town of Joppa sounds like a Star Wars town. It's not. It's a real town here. It might be a real town in Star Wars as well. Um, But he goes and he does that. So at the same time that this is happening, Peter, who is in Joppa, gets another vision. And it's funny because it starts off by describing how hungry Peter was. I like to believe that Peter, like me, gets hangry when he gets hungry. There's like this urgency to hunger with him because it it describes him. He says he gets hungry, then he asks people to go make him food. During this time, he falls into a trance and has a vision. Now, the nature of what he did when he was there, all it says is he had a vision. And this vision was basically this giant sheet filled with a bunch of animals and food that descends, and he hears the voice of Jesus say, rise, kill, and eat. Now, first off, I'm just glad to know that I'm not the only one who has dreams of sheets full of food falling down from heaven. I'm just glad to know that I'm not alone in that. But he sees this happen, and, and, and like and like a good Jew, like, like a practicing Jew at the time, he said, no, I would never do that. And it's important that we see what's happening here. Because the food, it wasn't just any food or any animals. These were animals and food that he was not allowed to eat. One of the main distinctives in the Mosaic law, which is the law given by Moses in the Old Testament of what it means to practice being a pe- the people of Israel, was dietary restrictions, what we know as kosher. So there are certain things that they weren't allowed to eat. And this was something that's actually in the Bible. This is something that God put forth. And he did this, and there was really two things that separated the Israelites from the nations that were regular things that they did. One was that they were circumcised. So that made them distinct from the nations. The other is that there were certain foods they just chose not to eat, to keep them distinct, to remind them in their belly that they are holy that they are set apart, that they are different from the people around them. So this is a big deal because this is Jesus telling him to break a rule that Jesus made, which is different from what Jesus does in a lot of other instances, which is telling them to break rules that they made that Jesus doesn't care about. Now, we actually hear later on, Peter cites something that he calls a law that's actually not a law. When he enters into Cornelius' home later, he says, it's unlawful for me to even enter in and interact with you, which is not true. It was not customary. It was against maybe the laws of the time, but that's not in the Bible. However, this is. This is something that's actually in there, and Jesus is changing it. And so we're going to have to answer the question, why is Jesus changing this? Why is this a big deal? But he does that. And the way he does this is Jesus' voice says, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happens to him three times. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 17. It says, Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, 
Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Now what happens after this is he goes and he enters the home of Cornelius. Now remember, Cornelius is a Gentile. All of his family are Gentiles. All of his friends are Gentiles. And even though he is a Gentile in good standing with the Jews, it even says that he is a man who is respected by the Jews. He is a Gentile. And when Peter shows up, what happens first is that Cornelius actually bows down and worships him. And Peter immediately says, stand up. Don't do that. I'm just a man. Don't do that. And then he points out the fact that normally I would never do this, but God has told me to do this, so I came without hesitation. Please tell me why I'm here. And so Cornelius goes into it. He says, I had this vision. I saw these things, and I was told to go send for you because you have an important message for me. And then we hear what we read earlier, starting in verse 34. So he says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Peter was included in that. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So this is kind of a complicated story. It's a little weird because there's sheets of food descending, there's visions, there's all this stuff that it might be hard for us to realize the significance of this moment, the significance of what's happening. Because up until this point, it was impossible for Gentiles to fully be brought into the community of God unless they were circumcised and and went the full way in. So this is a huge moment because God is making it clear that there is now no distinction. There's no reason, there's no barrier keeping them from the Holy Spirit, from being baptized and fully brought in to this community. So let's look at some of the significance of this story. First is that God's blessing is now given to all people. This is important, God's blessing 
is now given to all people. And what's important in this is to know that this was God's plan from the beginning. Now, God's blessing technically was always given to God's people, but it was just a little trickier. So God, through the new covenant in Christ, has changed it so that more people can enter in, and we'll get to that in just a second. But God's blessing is given to all people, and this was God's plan from the beginning. Go back all the way to Genesis chapter 12, which is where Abraham was called, where this whole nation of Israel begins. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And listen to this. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just his family, not just people related to his family, but all families will be blessed through the promise given to Abraham. This is God's plan from the beginning. The prophets speak to it. I want to point out just one prophet, Joel, mainly because Peter talks about him and quotes him earlier in one of the earlier sermons that he gives. Starting in verse 2, uh, starting chapter 2, verse 28. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And what we're witnessing right now is that moment happening. This is not just some moment out of nowhere. This is not just a happenstance. This is not accidental. This is something that God has planned and anticipated for hundreds and hundreds of years. Something that the prophets spoke of. This is something that was embedded in the call of Abraham all the way back to even in Genesis 3 after the fall when God spoke to Adam and started this process of redeeming his people that one day all nations would come and be a part of his blessing. So we're seeing that now. We are witnessing that now. Some other significance is that this clarifies and makes distinct these two realities. One is that atonement, which atonement is just the formal way in which sin is dealt with in the Bible. That atonement and entrance into the church, into this community, is now through Christ and through Christ alone. It is not through the Old Testament sacrificial system. That it was no longer necessary for them to participate in that for atonement to take place. The next is that the Holy Spirit is what sets the church apart, not dietary laws and circumcision. The Holy Spirit is what sets the church apart, is what makes it distinct. Now, this is not a big deal for us. I get it. For most of us, this is not our heritage. This is not our background. But for them, this is a big deal. This is all they've known. And once again, this is not stuff that God is changing that man came up with. God is actually changing things that he came up with. And that's not because those things were bad. That's not because those things were wrong. Those things were necessary at the time. But for God to do what he's wanting to do now, which is to bring Gentiles and Jews all together into one family, he had to change the nature of how this stuff happened. He had to change the nature of atonement, and atonement now happens through Christ, and change the nature of what makes us holy. What holiness is, is now the Holy Spirit. And so that happens now, and Gentiles are being brought in. And one, thing we, one other significant thing to point out is really just how this falls in kind of a series of things that we've witnessed in the book of Acts. That people, everyone who was once far off is now being brought in through Christ. People who were once far off are now being brought in through Christ. 
And we see this start chapters earlier with Simon the magician and other Samaritans, the Ethiopian eunuch who was, who was far off and could not fully participate in worshiping God. All of these people, now all the way to Cornelius, who was a Gentile, are being brought in to the family of God. They are being brought near. Paul, I think, says this best in Ephesians chapter 2. So I'm going to read what he says and how he explains this reality. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, which is us, many of us, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all races, all everything, all cultures are coming together into one family through Christ. And that's what we're witnessing here. The, the good news of Jesus Christ that through him we receive forgiveness is now being made available to everyone. And we have all benefited from that. And we're going to see what happens with this next. But first, I, I would be remiss to not point out something to you. And that is that if you feel far from God, if you feel like there are just reasons why you can't be forgiven, I hope that you hear in this story and you hear right now, there is nothing keeping you from God's forgiveness. This is important for us to remember. There is nothing keeping you from being forgiven. You don't have to go through all these rites and ceremonies. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be moral. You just have to believe. And you receive his forgiveness. And that is good news. That all of us, regardless how far we feel from God, are being brought near by Christ. That we've been brought in to this reality. Now what's interesting is shortly after this, immediately after this, we begin to see the other side of this. Now, I would say it would be hard, I, I'm going to project a little bit, but I feel like most of us in here would agree that that sounds like good news. That all these different people being brought in by Christ, the fact that God's good news is for everyone, is a great thing. It is a good thing that we can all agree with. But there is a messy side of this. There is a, tense, a tension that comes 
through this reality, and we are immediately confronted with it in the next chapter. We're immediately confronted with the messy reality of the good news of Jesus. So Peter, after this, is coming back to the Jerusalem church. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Now the circumcision party were people, were Jewish Christians who were kind of extreme in saying, for you to be fully a Christian, you had to be fully Jewish as well. It's basically what they were saying. So the circumcision party saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, Peter's about to give a defense, but I, I want to point out some unique things about this. See, I think what we're seeing here is, is sadly something that's probably true in many of our lives. Is because the problem that they had was not that the Gentiles were baptized. They didn't have any problems with the Gentiles being baptized. They didn't have a problem with the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. What they had a problem with was the fact that Peter ate with them had a problem with the fact that Peter ate with them. See, I think for many of us, and myself included, we love the idea of all people being brought into Christ. We just don't want to have to hang out with them. (laughs) We just don't want to have to eat a meal with them. We don't want to have to be friends with them. We can love them, we just don't have to like them. And that's kind of what we're seeing because what this is ultimately going to mean is that their, their ideology is going to be confronted by this. Things that they hold very dearly to their identity is going to be confronted and challenged by what happens here. Now, Peter goes on and he explains what happens. And I won't repeat it just because it's literally an explanation of what happens. He tells them about Cornelius' vision. Then he tells them about his vision. He tells them about their meeting and what he said to them and what happened to them, how how God told him what God has made clean, do not call common, and went there, and how he witnessed the Holy Spirit falling on him. And he goes, in verse 16, he says, and this is Peter speaking, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, they ultimately do receive this well, even though there will be future tension in this. But I think it speaks to something that we have to deal with, that we have to recognize, that yes, the good news being good news for everybody is good news. This is incredible. This is a beautiful picture of what God is doing. But it is messy. It is tense. And God made it that way. I think this is the biggest thing we need to see. That God intended his church to look like this. See, God made the church in its ideal form to be a family filled with enemies. A family filled with people who don't understand one another. Who don't have anything in common with one another. Who don't like each other. God has put all of them into one family and said, you guys are with me, and I am your God, and now you have me in common, and we're going to work this out together. So what we don't realize and we don't see is the tension between Jews and Gentiles at the time. The Jewish people were oppressed by the Romans. Rome had basically come in and taken over Israel. 
And they were, they were an oppressed people. And although this particular man, Cornelius, was respected by the Jews, what he represented was not. He was a Roman centurion. He was the actual face of their oppression. So to think that there's not baggage in this relationship would be a mistake. So to help us envision that, I, I, I want to just kind of put this out here. First off, I want you guys to just imagine your worst Thanksgiving. Let's start there. Like your very worst Thanksgiving meal. Like the uncle that nobody really likes somehow found out about it and shows up. Your daughter's boyfriend you can't stand is there and you have to have some form of conversation with them. You have to work through it and get at least to the pie. You know? Like that's what we're talking about, only so much worse. That's God's vision for the church. I'm going to list off of people who have nothing in common together that God has called both of them to. God has called all of these people, and through faith, they can receive God's forgiveness and be brought into his family. He's called both Democrats and Republicans. I'll start there. He's called both of them. He said, both of you guys, I love you, and I want you in my family. He's called people on both sides of the immigration debate. He's called white supremacists and Black Lives Matter activists. He's called CEOs and minimum wage employees. He's called Yankees and Red Sox fans, both to the same table. He's called people who like the show Dancing with the Stars. Even they will be there, okay? God has called all of them into the same family, all of them to the same table. And if you don't think that in God's ideal setting, there's, not, there's going to be tension, then we have mistaken the understanding of God's church. God made it this way. He formed it this way, and he did it for a very good reason. Because it's interesting, what we're witnessing in this story, and this is some of the things we talked about at our, the preaching collective that we go to with all the other redemption uh, preachers that kind of talk this stuff through, what we're witnessing is the sanctification of Peter and the rest of the church. See, because Peter, we know from sermons that he's given earlier that he always knew that the Gentiles were, being, were going to be brought in. He always knew this to be true. He knew that at some point in time, God's blessing was going to be to all nations, that all nations would be brought in. Yet when it actually happens, there's a lot of reticence. It actually takes God giving him a real vision and telling him to go for this to happen. So what we're witnessing is the sanctification of Peter. And what we're learning in this is that we don't lose our prejudices just because we become Christians. We don't lose those things that bring our baggage with relationships. We don't lose that stuff immediately. That's stuff that has worked out over time. I think of a rock tumbler. Do you guys know what a rock tumbler is? It's a fairly self-explanatory thing. It's a thing that tumbles rocks but what, they're specific rocks. Basically, you pull like a gemstone or something like that out of the dirt, it's still covered in a bunch of stuff. So to polish the stuff off, what they do is they throw all these rocks in a rock tumbler. It's a machine that literally tumbles the rocks together. And they break up against each other. It breaks off different pieces. And ultimately, what happens is you get these beautiful gemstones out of these things. That's what I think of when I think of the church. We have been put in a giant rock tumbler. Now, what I wish we were put in 
what I wish sanctification looked like was just a nice massage. Like, that would be nice. Like, we've got a few kinks to work out. We've got a few things that we got to, it'll hurt a little bit, but for the most part, it's a really pleasant experience. But that's not how it is. That's not how God made it. And God didn't make it that way because we don't just have a few kinks to work out. I think we need to take that seriously. Sin has made our hearts like stone, like rock. That is how deep our hatred and prejudices go. Our separateness, our willingness to divide for our own safety, all of that stuff, that's how deep that stuff goes. We are, our hearts are like rock. And it takes a rock tumbler of people to force us to deal with that, to push us against each other. So it's a rock tumbler. God uses this messy community to sanctify us. Because the truth is what God has made clean, we cannot call common. See, I've seen this in my own personal story. This is, this is something that really, as I was reading this and processing this, this is something, as I look back in my own story of where I am at and how God has sanctified me and matured me and grown me up, and not to say that I have a lot of room for that uh, for years to come, but this is how I've seen it happen in my life. See, I grew up not far from here. I grew up in Paradise Valley, North Scottsdale area. Um, I was uh, a, a white male born into an upper middle class neighborhood in the United States of America. So I was born into more privilege than most of the world could ever have. Now, not because of anything my parents did wrong or anything like that, but because of that, I was very much so blind to my own prejudices. I was very much so blind to the things that I thought about people that I didn't understand. And that's not to mean that I wasn't raised in the church, that I didn't understand the Bible, that I didn't other, other things like that. I would do those things. But what God used to ultimately break down that stuff was not my Bible study, was not all that stuff. It was when he forced me out of my comfort zone into relationship with people that disagreed with me on things, that pushed against me. What started in, in, in uh, um, high school, I started volunteering down at Neighborhood Ministries. Some of you guys are familiar with them. You guys worked with them. But this was the first time I'd ever really worked at a long time with people who were poor, people who were immigrants, people um, who were of different political ideologies than me. And ultimately, I had to wrestle with the fact that God has called them, not only called them, but is using them to do his work. I had to wrestle with that reality. And it made me question and change a lot of the things that I held, a lot of the positions that I hold, a lot of the jokes that I would laugh at, even. It changed the way I did that. I would travel to India. I was able to spend some time in India. And once again, was exposed to incredible amounts of poverty. But more than that, I was exposed to the charismatic church and what God is doing through the charismatic church, which was interesting growing up in, in a fairly reformed, uh, non-charismatic church. I had prejudices, and that's not to say that I agree with the charismatic church and a lot of their theological stuff, but I saw that God called them and is using them, and it broke down my prejudices. It broke down my presuppositions. In college and seminary, I spent it in the Bible Belt. So I went to Texas A&M University, um, and you can tell nobody went there because you'd normally hear whoops and hollers if you <laughs> did go there. Um, but I went to Texas A&M University, then I went to uh, seminary up in Dallas, and so even there, I was, I was exposed to the suburban, overchurched individual. And if you don't think prejudice doesn't go that way, you're wrong. It does. 
I had a lot of prejudices against that, even though in many ways I was one of them. I just didn't want to believe that. And God softened my heart. He changed my heart to see God's love for them because God has called them and is using them as well. Through, through Redemption Church, we are being exposed to so many incredible opportunities and partnerships with churches and people that are different from us. That God has called, that God is using. And I have seen this happen in my life. All of those opportunities, I got to love people up close, God used for sanctification. And this is one of the big things we talk about here. That God calls us to love people up close. That we're supposed to enter into the mess of relationships with people who don't agree with us, who have nothing in common with us. Because God uses that to break our hard hearts. God uses that as a rock tumbler to sanctify us because ultimately what he wants to present are gemstones. That's ultimately what he's wanting to do. And unfortunately, because of how hard our hearts are, this is the way he's going to do it. There are arguments and ideologies that I used to agree with that I just can't anymore. There are jokes that I would make. There are things that I, let, I just can't do it anymore because of what God has done by forcing me into the relationships with people within the church. And I'm not saying that Bible study is not important. We should be studying the Bible. We should be listening to sermons. We should be worshiping together. We should be doing all of these other things. But if we are missing this very important part of it, I think we're going to find that God can't do in our hearts what he wants to. Because this isn't a suggestion. This isn't just something we can do. This is something that God made for us to do. Is enter into this because this is what the church is. If you uh, are interested in that, the good thing is we have a person who was just up here earlier who would love to help you do this in your life. Ben Bear, who is going to be back at the Connect Desk afterwards, would love to talk. If, if you have no idea where to start, just say, hey, Ben, I have no idea where to start, but I'd like to do this. Help me find a way. He would love to walk you through that stuff. Because there's two things that I really want us to walk away with today. There's two things that I, I don't want us to leave without at least confronting. The first is that good, God's good news is, in fact, for everyone. And if for whatever reason you feel that you are too far from God, know that that is a lie. God has come and called you. He wants to forgive you and bring you in to his fold. Bring you into this family that God has called you. And don't ignore that. Receive his forgiveness. Second is that God is sanctifying us through the messy relationships that we have. And if you look at your life and realize that you have none of those messy relationships, that you have none of those friendships within this church or outside of this church that are making you confront things in your heart, I'm challenging you to do so. Start somewhere. There's some incredible opportunities within the church. You can talk to me about it. You can talk to Ben about it. But just start somewhere and watch what God does in your life. Watch how God uses this to change you and to shape you. Because we get to be witnesses of how God did this here. How God brought two incredibly disparate people and formed them into one community. And God is still doing that now. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the incredible work 
you have done on the cross. Lord, that we now have forgiveness. Lord, that we now are able to enter in. God, those of us who are far off, who are not a part of your promise, are now a part of your promise because of what you've done. Lord, we thank you for that. God, we ask that you would, you would convict our hearts, Lord, and cause us to take just those first steps of experiencing the messiness, the, the, the diversity, and the tension in the, your beautiful church. God, I pray that you would change us and transform us through that, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done, Lord. We thank you for the work that you're doing in this church and the lives of the people coming. God, and we pray that you continue that. We pray this in your name. Amen.